All right, so we're in week four of our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been here the last few weeks, um, you've heard us kind of start working through uh, chapter five. Uh, We started week one with the Beatitudes, which was kind of just a list of characteristics that a citizen of the kingdom of heaven um, might have, might possess. And then in week two, uh, we talked about what it meant to be salt of the earth, light of the world, what it meant to uh, preserve the good work of the gospel, what it meant to allow our light to shine before others, that they would see our good works and ultimately praise our Father who is in heaven. And then last week, um, for those of you that were here, Pastor Mark talked a little bit about the law and how Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to really fulfill it in its fullest. And so weeks one, two, and three have been um, rather easy, I guess, to preach, rather comfortable uh, for all of us to sit and to listen and and to kind of be like, yeah, that's right. I, I need to remember that blessed are you when you're meek and blessed are you, um, you know, when you, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness because the kingdom of God will belong to you and blessed are you when you humble yourself and man, it feels good to go out and to be the salt and to be the light. What a, what a great challenge for all of us and, and just to remember that Jesus just fulfills the law. I mean, Jesus, it's all about Jesus Christ, right? Then we get to week four and kind of the coming weeks and we get a little bit, like Jesus gets a little more up in our business. Okay, and I'm just going to tell you, um, Jonathan Coleman and I get to preach next week. And next week, we're calling it love and temptation. But really what Jesus is talking about is lust and temptation. And so we're going to be talking about lust and we're going to be talking about adultery and divorce and all that next week. So we were already trying to figure out what illustrations we were going to use, what would be appropriate. Uh, (laughs) So if you have small children next week, I mean, I'll let you use your discretion as far, but we're going to be hard hitting. I mean, we're just going to go straight to like, these are the words of Jesus and this is what it means. And and it's not going to be any more comfortable today because today we're talking about anger. And I think if I said, hey, raise your hand in here if you don't struggle with anger or if you never have anger episodes at home. I mean, I'm not going to say like, how many of you have been to anger management? Okay, and we're not going to call you out that much. But anger is a real thing, and and it's something that we've probably all, in one way, shape, or form, dealt with before. Yeah, that's right. It's about what it looks like, right? So we're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. All the little kids in the room are like, oh no. <laughs> right? That's not exactly what he means by brother and sister, okay? Although it could certainly apply there. But again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Jesus says, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So, as Pastor Mark kind of began to talk about last week, 
Jesus really raises the standard. He raises the bar of expectation here in the Sermon on the Mount. In this case, today, he raises the bar of expectation in relationship to anger, that issue of anger. Jesus says, you have heard it said, dot, 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 but I tell you, dot, 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 right? Jesus is not altering the terms of the law in any of these passages. Again, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. What Jesus is doing, though, is he is correcting or clearing up what people have, quote, unquote, heard. How many times have you been guilty? How many times have I been guilty of going by or going on what we heard? We do that all the time, don't we? How many times have we been guilty of doing this as it relates to our faith, our faith in Christ, our faith in God? Well, you know, so-and-so said this, or my extremely all-wise, good-looking pastor said this, right? I know you guys say that all the time. (laughs) Well, later in this service, we're going to recognize some folks in our congregation who have taken disciple Bible study. How many of you have heard of disciple, disciple Bible study? Okay, hopefully a lot of you. Well, disciple leads a person through the scriptures so that hopefully they come out on the other side knowing more about what the Bible actually says and more about the story and how the threads of the story all kind of tie together from Genesis to Revelation. And the reason that we offer this class is because it is so important to know the whole of Scripture, to know what the entirety of Scripture teaches on all sorts of issues, and anger would definitely be one of those issues. God doesn't and God didn't want us to live the Christian life on hearsay, and that's why he gave us the Word of God in the first place. We are able to go directly to the source. How many times in 17 years of ministry have I had people come and say, you know, Pastor, tell me, what does the Word of God say about this? And I'm like, well, well, you have one of these, right? And I mean, furthermore, not only has God given you His very Word, but He's given you Google. (laughs) So that all you have to do is type in, what does the Scripture say about any topic, and bada boom, it gives you Scriptures to look up. God doesn't want us to live it on hearsay. He wants us to live it by the word of God. By every single word, we're able to go directly to the source. We can read the word of God. And here at Anderson Hills, we can read it together. We can join a small group. You can partake in a class like Disciple or some of the other things that we offer. And you can learn what the word of God says. So anyhow, this passage begins with these words of Jesus. You have heard it said. And as we will come to see, Jesus uses this phrase several times in and throughout the Sermon on the Mount as he expands on the true meaning and heart behind some of the commandments that God has passed on through Moses, opposing what the religious leaders had done to them by adding their own oral traditions and loopholes and things like that. And so the sixth commandment was, in fact, you shall not murder. And that's pretty straightforward. I mean, you can't really read too much into that. Probably it's, hopefully, it's one of the easier commands for the mass majority of you to obey. But Jesus wants us, he wanted the Pharisees, he wanted the teachers of the law, he wants all of his disciples to know and to understand that not only is murder wrong, but the emotions which often lead to murder, or can certainly lead to murder, are wrong as well. 
I mean, think about it. Emotions like jealousy, envy, spite, hatred. And one of these emotions is anger. And that's what I want to spend the rest of my time talking with you about this morning. So if I were to ask you this morning, what is it that makes you angry? All right, now a lot of you just looked at your spouse, okay? I don't know if that's because your spouse makes you angry or because you know the thing that makes your spouse angry. I'm a little concerned. I won't pull you right now. But what is that thing that makes you angry? What would you say? Well, I'm going to give you, I'm going to put myself out there this morning, and I'm going to give you my top three. Okay? So these are like the top three things that make Matt angry. All right? And we're going to go from three to number one. All right? So number three on the list is Kroger. <laughs> now, I'm just going to tell you, I love Kroger. Okay? Thank you, Kroger, for all of your help with Project 5000. We really appreciate it. You're a huge blessing to us but sometimes your store makes me angry. And it's not really so much your store or what you're selling or your staff because they're great. It's really the other people who are there shopping. <laughs> it makes me angry when I get out of my car and immediately, immediately fear for my life. Kroger's parking lot on Sunday, stay away. Two words, really easy. All the people backing up, trusting only their rearview cameras, all the people backing up while talking on their cell phones. Scary place. Scary place. But what really makes me angry is when I spend two and a half hours at Kroger to get five items and get home only to realize that I left a bag behind. Anybody ever had that experience? Uh-huh. You check out. You got it all ni nicely packed in your car. Maybe you tolerated kids the whole time you were at Kroger and you got home only to realize that those three ingredients that you desperately needed to get because your wife told you you desperately needed to get them are not in the bag. They're in a bag, but the bag is still a croaker. That's number three on the list, okay? That one's easy. Number two, scary, angry, stupid drivers. They don't have to be all three. They could just be one. Uh, a few months ago, my family, we were on our way to the Forest Park area, and we were on 275, and we had passed the 71 uh, interchange. We're kind of stuck between the 71 and 75 interchange. We're driving along, and I'm in the, uh, I think I was in the, the fast lane, and passing by another car, and I look in my rearview mirror, and you know how, it, you know what it is, like when you just kind of glance up in your rearview mirror, and you see them coming, right? You see them steamrolling down the highway, and you immediately fear for your life, and so what do you do? You put on the blinker, and you get over. Well, as I was getting over, this guy who was steamrolling was also going to get over to pass me. So he thought that I was cutting him off by getting over when I was just getting over to get out of his way because I knew I would die otherwise. So he gets back over in the fast lane, passes me, lays on his horn, then gets up in front of me. I've slowed down at this point and he slows down, and he slows down more, and he slows down more, and he turns around and is driving this way while looking at me this way. And I'm like, you know, our whole family's in the van. I'm like, what in the world is going on? So I'm like, well, I guess I have no choice but to just pass this guy, right, because he's slowed down so much. So I hit the gas to go pass him, and as I'm coming up on him, he had rolled down his passenger side window 
and immediately starts throwing anything and everything he can out of his passenger side window, including McDonald's bags, papers, anything that he has trying to hit my car as I'm passing him. I mean, it was like a real-life game of Mario Kart. I was fully expecting a turtle shell to come bounding out the window at any point, right? Stupid drivers. And the number one thing that makes Matt angry, drum roll, please. This one's kind of serious. People who disrespect other people. That's really my number one. My number one is when people disrespect me or I see people disrespecting other people. I don't know why. I can't tell you exactly. It's just a part of my nature. It's been there from day one. I was like this as a child. I was like this as a teenager. And I'm like this as a grown man. When I see someone else disrespect another person, it absolutely lights my fire. I don't know. Is that righteous anger? Maybe. When I punch somebody for it, is it righteous anger? <laughs> no, probably not, right? I, I have bloody knuckles this morning, but it's actually only because I dove after my dog when she got loose yesterday. So if any of those high-def cameras are picking me up right now, I didn't punch somebody, okay? I, I'm not that bad. But seriously, disrespect makes me angry. So what makes you angry? Jesus here is saying that not only hands that shed innocent blood are detestable to the Lord, but as Proverbs 6 says, also a heart that devises, devises wicked plans, a person who stirs up conflict in the community due to anger. These things also are significant. Jesus is saying that being angry with a brother or sister, insulting a brother or sister, calling a brother or sister names, these things make a person just as guilty of breaking the sixth commandment and liable to judgment as actually murdering them. Wow, talk about raising the bar. This is one of those OMG kind of things. Listen, church, obviously, obviously killing is a terrible sin. But Jesus is saying here that anger is also a great sin because it too violates God's command to love. God instructed us to what? To love God and to love others as we love ourselves. If you are angry with God, angry with someone else, or angry with yourself, and you're refusing to let that anger go, then you are violating God's command. I tell people all the time, let God know that you're angry. Let God know that you're upset. Let God know that you're steaming mad. And that's very true. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? Like being like, God, this is unfair. This is unjust. I am angry, right? Like let God know. But whatever you do, don't just hide it. Don't suppress it. Don't hold on to it because that's when it's going to lead to problems. Anger is a dangerous emotion that always threatens to leap out of control. Anger, in, in this case that Jesus is talking about, it refers to a seething, brooding bitterness against something or someone. This is not, I'm frustrated because I left a bag at the grocery. This is, I'm ticked off and I'm not going to let it go and I'm going to look for a way to get even. Anger leads us to violence. Anger leads us to emotional hurt. Anger can lead us to increased mental stress. Anger can lead us to spiritual damage. 
anger keeps us from developing a spirit that is pleasing to God. How many of you have ever been proud that you didn't lash out and say the thing that was really on your mind? Anybody ever been there? Mm-hmm. Self-control is good. But listen, Christ wants us to practice thought control. I mean, there's like a further step. It's not enough just to always think these things but never act on them. Like, God wants us to get to a place where we stop thinking about them. That's tough. Jesus says here that we will be held accountable even for our attitude. Jesus also said that not resolving our anger against someone and reconciling with him or her will impact our lives and others, uh, our other relationships negatively. And this includes our relationship with God. He says... Uh, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, then leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. I mean, perhaps we should just exercise that here this morning, okay? So let's try it. If you're here in this place this morning in worship, remembering that another person has something against you or that you have something against someone else, I want you right now to just stand and immediately leave out the back doors, go right to that person, ask for their forgiveness, and then come back and worship with a clear conscience, all right? So let's go ahead. What are you waiting for? Go on out. All right. Yeah, right. That'd be crazy. We'd probably all be walking the door. I mean, I'd be gone. So someone else would have to preach. But think about it. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, why would Jesus say this? Because Jesus knows that unresolved anger can lead us to harbor unforgiveness and bitterness, which is one of the most self-destructive forces in the world. The Apostle Paul says this. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. He says, in your anger, do not sin. And here's the really good one. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you have unresolved anger in your life, in all seriousness, you need to get that taken care of. Because I guarantee you, in some way, it's holding you back. Trying to navigate this world, trying to navigate this life is tough enough as it is. But doing it while harboring anger in our hearts, it's like running a marathon with a punctured lung. I mean, it's impossible. It's impossible for me to be everything that Christ wants me to be in this world, in this life, if I'm holding on to grudges, if I'm holding on to anger. Now, undoubtedly, whenever I have a conversation with our students on this topic of anger, the story of Jesus overturning the tables in the, in the tabernacle comes up. But, but Jesus was angry when he drove the people out of the temple, they say. And they would be correct. I would go so far as to say that Jesus was actually furious when he did that. His house, the house of the Lord, had been turned into a den of thieves, and he wasn't about to stand still and watch it happen. And I would say that if we were to ask Jesus today, I'm fairly certain he would say that not all anger is, in fact, bad. There are times when anger is, is even good. There are times when anger is necessary. Again, we call this type of anger righteous anger. I mean, Jesus got angry more than once in his earthly ministry. 
God also has a deep and furious anger against things like injustice and oppression and abuse. Anger can be a good thing. If instead of driving us to do or say damaging things or to sin, it motivates us to make bold and constructive changes in our life, in our world, in our family. But really, how much of your anger, how much of the anger that we've been talking about this morning is, is righteous anger? <laughs> Some of you are probably like, well, pff, I mean, I think my anger is pretty righteous. <laughs> Not exactly what we're talking about. So you might ask, how do I deal with, how do I handle anger in my life? What is a healthy model for handling anger? How would the Lord want me? How would the Lord himself handle anger? Well, I'm about out of time, but I want to give you just a couple of scripture passages that speak to this very question, okay? And the first one is Psalm chapter 86, verse 15. It says, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And James writes something similar, some instructions to us in James 1, 19 through 20. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So how do I handle my anger? Here's what I would say. You handle your anger best by surrendering your right to become angry. By surrendering your right to become angry in the first place. I mean, listen back to that Psalm 86. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. What if someone looked at you and said, but you, you are a compassionate and gracious person. I'm pretty sure if that were the case, then anger would not be as much of an issue for you. I am always seeking to show compassion. I am always seeking to give grace, more and more and more grace, then guess what? You probably are not a person who deals a lot with anger. We need to decidedly be slow in our anger. Slow in our anger. Well, I mean, we are short-fused people, right? That's, that's our culture. I mean, it's bada-boom, bada. I mean, it's that guy on the highway, Cutting me off, I'm going to throw my burger at him. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it doesn't even make sense. But we're going to just do whatever we can think to do to get back and to get even and to put ourselves ahead. And that's just not what God wants. He wants us to be slow to, to be angry. And not just be slow to, to become angry, but to abound in love. To abound in faithfulness. I mean, it's just like there's so much love and faithfulness pouring out of you. And you're such a compassionate and gracious person. I mean, who's worried about anger at that point? Nobody. Nobody. For me, in my, in my lifetime, it's been called giving people the benefit of the doubt. You know, something that I want everyone to do for me, but that I don't want to do for others. Right? Give me the benefit of the doubt. I'm trying hard. I'm working hard. Of course I love your child. Don't send me that nasty email. How could you think I don't care about your child? But then, what happens? Right? I don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt, you know? So that's just, that's the way it is. So here's the bottom line. 
Anger makes us unable to live the way that God intended. Amen? We cannot live the way God intended if we live in anger. I had breakfast with my mom on Friday. It was kind of a late Mother's Day thing. And during our conversation, this topic of anger came up. And little did she know, I'm sitting across the table like taking mental notes, you know. I'm like, I got sermon illustration right here. Thanks a lot, mom. She didn't even know I was preaching on it. I don't think I even told her. But she was talking about how God had recently revealed to her some of the anger that she's been carrying, I mean, since childhood, like going way back. She'd read a couple of books here recently, and it was just really making an impact on her. And, and she was talking about how she really feels like anger is hereditary, that it's something that's passed on. And so if you look at someone and you say, man, that's a person who really struggles with anger, guess what? Probably one of their parents or both of their parents really struggled with anger. And if that's the case, then guess what? Probably their parent or their parent, you get what I'm saying? Like it's passed down. It's a generational kind of thing. And so many things are. There's this cycle of anger. And I guess I would say to you today, like if you see that, if you know that, like you recognize that, then start praying now that that cycle would be broken with you. Like you can be a trend changer, okay? You can start a new trend in your family, a trend of being gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Like it's not too late. Some of you, your kids are already grown and out of the house and you're like, man, I blew it. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Teach your children now as adults, teach your grandchildren what it means to be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Pray for healing Pray for deliverance. Pray for freedom. That's the word my brother Chip used earlier, like the freedom over anger and the effects of anger. Like pray that God would just break those chains away and that you would be free. Let's do that now. Let's pray. God, we know what your word so clearly says about this issue of anger, this topic of anger. And God, we know that Probably every person in this room at one time or another has been angry. And God, some of that anger may even be good. Some of that anger may be righteous and rightly placed. Maybe they looked out and they saw someone being disrespected or oppressed or, or put down or treated poorly or abused. And, and, it, and anger rose up in them, God. And it was an anger that was from you, an anger that, that spurred them on and that inspired them to make a change and to do something about it. That's a good anger. But God, we've also been subject to that other kind. We've sinned in our anger. We've allowed it to allow us to hurt other people, to say harsh things, harsh words, hateful words. God, to do things that we never should have done. Father, some of us today, we're still holding grudges. We're still holding on to anger about things that happened to us literally decades ago. And so, God, the, this morning, my prayer for everyone here, for every man, for every woman, for every boy, for every girl, no matter where they are at their stage of life, God, is that they would find freedom from this anger. God, that you would grow up in us the desire to be compassionate, to show compassion, to be, to be gracious givers of our time, our energy, our talents, our resources. God, that we would be so filled with compassion and so full of grace that anger would have no place in our lives. God, that we would abound in our love for you and our love for one another and even in our love for ourselves. Because God, even a person who hates himself but loves everyone else is still dealing with anger. It's just anger that's directed right towards us. 
God, help us to overcome all of that. Break the chains this morning from all of that so that we can be freed up to live the lives that you have called us to live, to be that salt, to be that light unto the world. And we pray it in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.